Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we have on Kate Montrath, who I met back in 2006. We went to CCM together in Cincinnati, where she got her her BFA in theater design and production with an emphasis in sound technology. Uh, Right out of school, she worked as the assistant sound designer at the Muni and then assistant audio engineer for the second national tour of Spring Awakening. Um, After another summer at the Muni, this time as associate sound designer... (laughs) This is, this is why I restart all the time. And then a few more <laughs> national tours, including Shrek, Lacage, Flash, Flashdance, Annie, uh, she moved on to Broadway. There she's worked on shows such as A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, American Psycho, Holiday Inn, Come From Away, Beautiful, where she was sub-mix engineer and then assistant audio engineer. And most recently, before the pandemic, was the assistant audio engineer for Six. It's a lot of stuff. It is. It's a lot of S's. <laughs> Let's get there. Also, I, so I, I know when I was trying to write it, I was like, "This is a lot of stuff." I was like, "Let's just condense some stuff." But all of it is so cool, and, I'm, and as I'm like reading it, I'm like, "Oh, I knew that stage manager. Oh, I know some people that are on that show." So we were talking before the podcast about how it's such a small world. But anyways, welcome. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast and to talk about sound and audio. It's a very exciting mm-hmm. world. Me too. It's Something I don't get to do that often lately. So, (laughs) oh my gosh, seriously. Nice. (laughs) So, to start, how did you get into theater and did you always know that you wanted to work in audio? Um, Okay. So, I am from Texas and Texas high schools have a huge theater following um, because. Sports funding is tied to the fact that every school has to have an arts department and every school has a theater department and that theater department participates in um, a UIL one act play program, basically. It's like a play competition. Um, So theater is huge in Texas, which is why you'll probably see a lot of people in the theater industry who are from Texas. Um, It's not just because we have a big state, it's because (laughs) theater funding um, is is fairly significant um, and kind of prioritized in the state. So um, I've never heard that before. That is amazing. Isn't that wild? I just... um, I wouldn't have pictured Texas out of all places. Like, all I hear is football when anyone brings up Texas. Yep, which is why everybody loves football. So theater is big. Um, it's it's kind of a wild and wacky um, thing that if I didn't come from here, I, I would have no idea. No idea. Um, so that's a fun little caveat. And um, I did theater in high school and kind of going into high school, I made a decision, you know, do I want to join the newspaper or do I want to join theater? And my best friend at the time and I decided we're doing theater. Um, And I actually wanted to be a stage manager. (laughs) Most people don't say that. That's awesome. (laughs) And you know what? I love stage managing and I particularly love 
um, working in stage management in opera. So absolute power to you. I think it's, I think the most fun of the three, but you know, that's mm-hmm. Um, so in high school, I was working as a stage manager. I mean, what does that mean in high school? Um, (laughs) you know, um, we had a good department, but it's, it's nothing like the professional world, you guys, um, at all. So, um, I wanted to be the ASM for this musical we were doing and this other student got the ASM position. Um, and literally the only thing left was um a sound operator for this student written play thing it was very weird um <laughs> but I mean rather than being left out of the season you know I I said oh yeah I'll do that you know it's such an emphasis on like being a team player in, in high school theater is so serious so um, <laughs> so I did that and I kind of realized that it, it puts together some of the things I like from stage management, but also ties in a technology element that I don't really do awesome with. Like the technology in sound is the really challenging part for me and like personal interaction, people management, um, interpersonal communications. I'm fine with that. Like I excel in that. Um, and sound people don't always shine. Yeah. So it's um, not usually their um forte. Yeah, it's really not. Um, so I enjoy a good challenge and um I kind of decided from that time to kind of delve more into this and mix a couple musicals in high school. And my parents took me to see rent of course. Um, When it came through, it was the first professional production I saw was the like 2003 national tour of rent. And um, which is like a little scandalous to watch with your parents. It was like, (laughs) Um, and, and now of course I'm sitting in New York going, of course you have to pay your rent. Like, who are you? (laughs) it's just like it kind of it gets me a little bit um but I (laughs) realized that um in seeing that show that like touring theater was a thing and um I kind of decided to go to school for sound tour for three to four years move to New York City and work on Broadway which is like exactly what you did Exactly what I did. And yeah. um, and I remember just saying this to like our, my theater director at the time. And he kind of like laughed about it. And was like, oh, well, you have to be in the union for that. And they don't really let women in. So and I was like, oh, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, it sounds like a challenge. Guess I'll I do that. a challenge, as we've established. Um and um, and when I was looking at CCM, again, like, my directors um, were like, ooh, that's really hard school. We had had one student from our high school theater program go to CCM, and he didn't really get along terribly well with Waxler. And um, he quit after a quarter. And since then, nobody else from our theater program ever went to CCM because it was, quote, too hard. 
<laughs> so I I told them, I was like, I think I'm going to go to CCM. It looks like it has a great sound apartment. Um, and they were like, well, you're probably going to wash out. It's really hard. And it's just like, what kind of teacher says that to yeah. a budding theater enthusiast? You know, yeah. shame on you. Um, all, you can't go to school and you can't join the union because you're female. So good luck in the world. Yeah. Absolute shenanigans. Just so silly. Um, and I went to CCM and it's like CCM was harder because we did more involved things obviously we're learning a lot more but the work ethic was not more than high school because again high school theater especially in texas is so very serious like (laughs) i cannot stress this enough if if people haven't experienced it it is kind of a cult and i enjoyed my time there don't get me wrong if anyone's listening to this and it's like, oh my gosh, my, my child is in high school theater. It's a great time, but, um, you definitely (laughs) learn that things are not as, um, serious and important maybe as you think they are in the moment. That's like, (laughs) though, right? I'm pretty sure that's all of high school (laughs) in general. So, you know, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't do this math assignment. I'm going to fail. And now you're like, eh, fuck it. Nobody, nobody remembers that. Like, yeah. term paper where I wrote and she was like, you don't actually have a thesis. And I was like, well, someone who peer edited this paper should have let me know that. Yeah. I thought I had a thesis, but I guess I not. thought it was in there. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of... I guess like just doing high school theater and realizing that it was, and I always, I I think like being in a super male dominated industry was kind of like a, oh yeah, I can do that. Let's go. Let's go. Um, And it's been great. I mean, we're in an odd state of affairs right now, but I mean, I love my job. I love it. I love the city. I love the community. And um, it's just, it's so fun because there are moments when you're working there where you forget, like you forget it's kind of magical and really cool. And then um, like someone, my mom met once in the supermarket will travel to New York City and she'll be like, you have to give this person a tour. I met them in the supermarket. (laughs) They need to see what you do. And I'll give them a tour. And everybody's always so excited and um, astonished and like, oh my gosh, it's so small here. Whoa, there are things in the air. And you're like, I did that when we went backstage at Les Mis. And I've been backstage at Broadway theaters. I work backstage. And even I was like, how did you get it to fly up like that? so much magic yeah. it's like oh right this is really cool awesome love it yeah. that's kind of the journey that's kind of how I got there that's an awesome journey <laughs> how did you get kind your of, first tour huh? you did it, how did you get your first tour because you did it like right after CCM didn't you oh yeah so this is kind of like goes back to how small our world is, is um, 
Stacy Taylor had, mm-hmm. was another CCM student um, in stage management, had, I think, assistant company managed during a tech period on a show for networks presentations, which is one of the like kind of three big, maybe four big theater touring companies that aren't original Broadway producers. Um, so she had worked there um, on that show. And so she kind of knew the network's presentation people. And when we went to USITT, I think it was, must have been the like senior year, I think. I kind of went ready to get a job immediately and showed up with like a resume and business cards wearing like a semi kind of suit like outfit. Um, and if, if you've ever been to USITT, um, which is a technical theater convention, kind of specifically geared towards college students or high school students, um, professionals in the industry go as well but um it's definitely set up to help people who are undergrads looking for grad school or summer programs or first jobs and and things to kind of start out with um I went to the expo floor and it was like me with my resume and like my suit jacket um (laughs) and then like a bunch of other like theater kids you know Showing how many flashlights they had for <laughs> <laughs> serious, I rolled up to this um, this booth because I was like, I have to tour. Like that is the staff, three to four years, get the experience, go to New York. Okay, touring. They have tours, doing it. And I kind of researched all of the shows they had going out before we went, so I knew they were sending out Spring Awakening and a Chorus Line, and I was like, okay. These are my two options. Those are the ones. And so um, we went and kind of talked to the production manager who was there at the time, Hector. And he did like, a, oh, well, do you have a resume? And I was like, yes, it's right here. You also have my resume because I've been emailing you like every month. Just in case <laughs> you, you know, like don't turn them over necessarily. Just to like re-up it. And he was like, oh, you're really serious. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know. Um, so we did an interview, I think the next day. And um it's just it's really funny because I feel like, and I don't know if it's a girl thing, I think it is. I think it's like a, a female thing where we're kind of not as inherently like taught to be like go get them and like Yep, you should hire me because I'm awesome. And mm-hmm. I'll have a lot of conversations with like my male colleagues who are like, oh yeah, I took that job. I had no idea how to do it. And I'm like, does that not give you highs? Like, yeah, I, I don't even apply to those. Yeah. Like, you like oh, I don't fit half of that job description. I'm not even going to apply. And other guys mostly are like, eh, one or two lines worked for me. I They're like, I saw a theater show once. Yeah, I'll go be a production manager. It's just like, it's such a different mindset. Um, And and something that I kind of struggle with, but um, 
I guess I was like in it to win it that day because I was like, yep, I'm here. Absolutely. Want to do this? They're like, what's your end goal? I was like, Broadway, doing it. Um, but I want to tour for three to four years. And we kind of talked about like the very, like, do you want to go out as an assistant? And I was like, yes, I need to learn from somebody. Absolutely. Yep. No, I don't want to be the only person. I need to like, I want to be shown the ropes and like have room to, you know, grow into it and, um, and have kind of a safety net, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. um, cause I also kind of felt like when, when I was in school, I did a lot of learning on my own. And again, like technology and whatnot is not my strong suit. So I really need someone to kind of help me through that. Um, and he brought up Spring Awakening and Chorus Line. And I said, I wanted to be an assistant. And so a lot of times the bigger shows have assistants and the smaller ones do not. So like being an assistant theoretically means you're on a bigger show, um, which was great. And um, I remember they asked me if I like showering. Do you like to shower? And that seems like a crazy question, right? But yeah, yeah. on tour, <laughs> oh, <God>, Cindy's face. <laughs> on a tour, like it's not because you don't always get to shower. I didn't shower. There was a four-day stint on Spring Awakening where I didn't get to shower, and I had an absolute nervous breakdown crying to Stacy Taylor about how like I was going to quit and um and eventually she talked to our head carp who called my trucks cuz I was like all of our schedules were such as as soon as you loaded the truck closed the door you had to get on the bus and go to the next town and we were already late because the cities weren't close to each other I could talk about that for a while, but um, <laughs> I have a mental breakdown because I don't do well when I'm dirty. I just don't feel good. It just no. yeah. You know, oh, I'd be perfect. I hate showers. I, I get itchy skin, and I for some reason hard water or whatever. I get itchy skin, so I have to take really fast showers or sit in a bath with like a pound of Epsom salt. That was amazing. Stacey, did you tour it because you were meant for it? I should tour it. That would have been, I would have been like, yes, this is perfect. I have an excuse. Yeah, no, my skin just doesn't like it. So weird. I'm sure you guys all needed to know that very personal information, but this is making me really excited. There's, uh, the more you know, the more you Especially on on tours, you just got to know these things. Showering is... You hit a situation a lot of times when you're on tour where either you can you can shower, you can sleep, or you can eat. And it's like, mm, I really need to do all three of those things. Uh, and usually I would shower. I would sleep. I think I would too. No, I would <laughs> Yeah. Um, but Spring Awakening, at least, um, the first show that I did, um, I had so much to do on this show. It was a huge sound system. The set was smallish. The lighting package was moderate, but the sound equipment was massive. And um, so, like, everybody kind of had a shower period, um, which is what we kind of figured out, like, three weeks in, is that I didn't. Some people would shower during Act 1 or Act 2 because they had no cues. 
I had cues the whole time, y'all. And um, <laughs> I showered during song three of act one. Like, like hilarious. Just like, ah, it's like our fireman had one cue at intermission. So once the show started, he could, he could go shower. He could shower in act two. He could shower whenever the heck he wanted. But, you know, I had cues. And then sometimes the shows would be too close together. And so I wouldn't really get a dinner break. And so everybody else is like, oh, I'm going to go eat dinner. And I'm like debattering microphones and then prepping them. And then we start again. And people would be like, why didn't you shower on dinner? I was like, I didn't eat. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, <get> a dinner. <laughs> I didn't have a dinner. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's real close here. It's real close. It's like half hour after, half hour before. Huh. And, and, and some of that came from like an experience of me being like, yeah, you're in a union. You should really put your foot down <laughs> and be like, I'm supposed to have breaks, y'all. I'm supposed to have breaks. But, um, you know. Ooh, first time trying to make a good impression. And like the crew was so young. It was the crew, the cast. I mean, our cast were, our like older guys were 21 on the tour um aside from like adult man and adult woman and their understudies but it was like the cast was 18 to 21 basically it was just a very very young crew and um the head audio guy was the steward so I was like oh well like if there was something wrong Mm. he He would say something in fact no you guys in fact no but you know what we got through it. It was probably the most talented cast I've worked with, which is crazy because it was like a bus and truck one night or non-equity tour. Those kids could sing. <laughs> they were amazing. Oh, and you got to listen to that every single day. Like that's what you like, that's why our jobs are so amazing. So fun. So fun. Just um, and if, and so many of them have gone on to like have these crazy careers um like christopher who played our melchior is like a big tv star now and is in the vampire diaries and it's just like what is going on of course you're doing awesome because you were so talented (laughs) (laughs) you know i knew you before you had like a million instagram followers (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome a a big question that I had as I was looking through your not Instagram your LinkedIn profile is all of the and maybe this is because I'm not an audio person but like audio engineer mix engineer rehearsal mix production audio what are the difference between all of these things okay so a little secret especially in sound, um, it's kind of depends on what team you're working with, because all of that is completely ambiguous. Um, Got it. Got it. Like completely. Um, and it kind of stems from, it's funny. I've, t- I've talked about this um, a bunch lately. Cause I've talked with a couple student groups about like, you don't have to be a sound designer. You can do other things and sound, um, because I would be horrific, horrific sound designer. 
I would give zero bothers about what speakers or any, any of that stuff. I don't care. Um, (laughs) Whatsoever. It's just, it's, it doesn't get me excited. And the funny thing about it is my father's an electrical engineer. He loves like gear and speakers. And so like, I'll come home for the holidays or something. And he'll be like, I bought a new subwoofer. And I'll be like, cool. Like, are we watching the movie? What's happening? <laughs> He's I like, you work in this industry. Or um, I built this tube amp. And I'm like, cool. Um, but are we watching the movie? Like, <laughs> all of these things that I don't really um, care as much about as people who do. And people who do, it is. They love it so. Um, so basically, the designer kind of sets a tone for whatever the rest of his team is doing. And so he'll kind of fill in the gaps on, or shill. I mean, we do have women. Um, it's, it's a weird, we've only really had a couple women sound designers in the Broadway world who have broken through. Um, and that frustrates me to no end because it's not because, um, we don't have some really badass talented women, but you know, we'll get there one day. Well, we already have, cause we had just Paz, um, for Hadestown, which was baller. Um, okay. So basically the sound designer kind of will fill out the rest of their team with Things that may not be their forte. So some sound designers will have an associate designer or an assistant designer. Um, Sometimes if they aren't necessarily super technologically savvy or not really interested in like the basics of how to put together the system versus how the system will sound. Sometimes they'll have a production person, a production sound engineer, who's kind of like production sound engineers take the design and what it should be and make it happen. They're like the TV of the sound department. <laughs> uh, and then you have um, mix engineer or head audio engineer or A1, all of those are interchangeable. Um, Same thing for A2, assistant sound engineer, um, audio too. I mean, it kind of depends on where you are specifically, like what locale you're at, um, and kind of what level you are. As you get into the Broadway world, most of the time you'll have a production person. And that person's specifically there to kind of watch over the show if it's a long run, sometimes they'll oversee like bringing in new subs, changing out equipment, um, retraining and making sure the scheduling is correct for um, new people rotating into the head audio and assistant audio positions. Um, and they also liaise a lot with general management, um, production management, etc., so that the designer can kind of just design. You know what I mean? Um, so production engineers are pretty big on Broadway and specifically also on tours. Um, definitely bigger tours. Um, 
kind of new tours as well. It depends. Um, new tours a lot of times have really new kind of green people. So it really helps to have somebody who has probably done the show before be there to like, you're going to need this length of cable and we're going to need this. And this is how we're going to pack it in the truck, etc. Hmm. Um, but I've also worked with a team that um, were co-designers and then their production guy was sometimes an associate, sometimes an assistant. And it's just like, anything goes. You have three people working on this show. They usually do specific things on the show, whatever you want to call them is whatever works for, I guess, that producer and figuring out like the monetary compensation for mm-hmm. that. Um, a lot of times though, production sound engineers will be a pink contract position, which means that they can touch things. Um, or if you're in New York, maybe they'll be able to be on local one payroll. It kind of varies but there are there are stipulations based on your specific job title with the union and how much you're allowed to be hands-on and how much you have to like never touch anything ever um and kind of sometimes the titles have to do with making you sure you can do what you need to do you know what I mean so I never I never thought about that I guess I just assumed that audio engineers would touch stuff like it makes sense to me that stage managers don't touch stuff because you have but I always just I guess assumed that you would be able to that's interesting well, that, it, that it depends on and it's kind of more for like the tech period um and this yeah. so for instance um it's the musical I um it's the last show I was working on when we shut down and we had a sound designer an associate sound designer who was also our head audio engineer. Um, And then we had an assistant sound designer, a production engineer who couldn't do the show because he was also doing Mrs. Doubtfire. So we had an interim production engineer um, and me. So lots of people on the floor, but basically a designer and assistant designer couldn't theoretically physically move things or touch things right because you have to have enough union people Mm -hmm. there to be able to do that for them they're supposed to just be able to sit there and be like i want this and there, there are things like programming wise that they can do absolutely remotely doing things as well but they're not supposed to be moving gear around um now our production engineer he um was on a I think it's a local one contract. So he was allowed to move stuff around and help us physically load in the show. Um, Our associate designer was also our head audio engineer. So he could do as well because him and I were both on pink contracts. um, And in our contract, it's understood that we will be physically doing things. So that's kind of a thing that when you get into regional theater, even on tours, definitely in the Broadway world, um, you run into a lot of union rules and regulations that you really need to be aware of and be mindful of. Um, and, and that are there for a purpose, you know, there's not, um, nobody sat around and just thought like, I'm just going to say this guy can't touch 
anything. <laughs> they shouldn't be touching things because you should have enough people to facilitate making that happen. Um, and you don't want to take a job away. So sometimes those job titles have to do with what you can and cannot do in the theater. Did you, uh, how did you learn all these union rules? Like I don't belong to a union. Cindy belongs Mm -hmm. to two unions, but Mm -hmm. it seems that at least in the stage manager world, contracts change depending on the union and the size of the show and all of that. So do did somebody like sit you down and go over these rules? Did they give you a 500 page book and said, here, figure it out? Did you take classes in it? Like, how do you figure this out? Wouldn't all of those options have been super helpful? <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm like, um, I have no idea. <laughs> so um, for me, at least, a lot of it was just like on the job training um, in watching and observing and asking questions. Um, when I first joined the touring world and I got my union card, um, I never received anything um, aside from like my card. Um, like, congrats but, for thanks for joining. This how much you for joining. Thanks yeah. for the money. You know, we're looking out for you. Great. Um, and then I had a contract, which um, back then was like a two-page document, like front and back, of some stipulations. It had my salary. Um, That was kind of it. And nowadays, now since then, I've heard from like other touring folk, they've been getting these contract booklets. And I was like, what? Wow. What is this magic? You can look it up? You (laughs) Like what? And that and that's kind of another problem that I had on my first tour is I didn't have a booklet being like, oh, if I have a half hour or less for dinner break, it should be a paid provided meal. Mm-hmm. And um, I go into like time and a half for this many hours until I have another break. Like I didn't know any of that. Um, and I'm assuming that my steward at the time did not either. Um, otherwise, we would have gotten a lot more money, probably. Um, or they would have at least gotten a break. Yeah. yeah. Or, or they would have fixed the problems and I would have had time to like eat or sleep or shower, you know. Or specific. two out of three. <laughs> that is a magic world. And I that might be too much, Stacey. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So like nowadays they have booklets. Um, you can, they'll send out a booklet of like, there's small medium tours. Um, and then a large tour modified contract booklets, um, networks, uh, Troika, big league Phoenix, um, are all touring companies that often have tours that go out under, um, modified, tour contracts, um, which have like lower minimums, um, and some different wording, or you can go on a a league contract, um, which has a whole different set of rules and regulations. Um, but honestly, most of it was just from listening and watching and every local in the union, basically every city has a different local. Most of the time, there are some right to work states where 
you may not have a union crew. You might have um, um, just some overhire guys or people who normally work at the theater. But most of the time, there's a union crew um, of some kind, whether it's just a house head or whatnot. And all of those unions have different specific rules, every local. Um, and you kind of learn, especially like on a one-nighter tour, I... Who knows where I was from day to day? I have no idea. I've been to almost every state, um, aside from Alaska and Hawaii. Um, I've been to theaters that I'm like, mm, this looks familiar. I think I've been here. And then <laughs> I'll, I'll walk in and they'll be like, Kate. And I'll be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so good to be back. It's so good to be back. Um, and sometimes they'll trip you up because smaller um in like Illinois, we played three different stops with the same crew because they were so close together. Um and, and sometimes you run into that and they'll be like, We weren't at this theater, we were at the theater across town, and I'll be like, I don't know why you think I remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> 16 hours of my life and then it was gone it was gone um but I'm a lot of times like when you get in a new city you just kind of sit down talk to your head audio guy the guy who works at the theater and say hey so theoretically this is kind of how my day is gonna go and these are the things I'd like to get done um how do you feel about that what <laughs> can I do this? Can I not do this? And it and it it really it completely depends on each local. Like in some places, you have to take a break after the end of the show before you start a loadout, like a half hour paid provided necessary can't get out of it break. And you're like, ah, okay, awesome. <laughs> um, and I kind of like when I'm in loadout mode, I just want to get in there and do it. And I know everyone's not like that. And we have breaks for a reason and we need to take moments. But there's also a lot of times if you make it to the five hour mark, you have to take at least another half hour, sometimes mm -hmm. an hour long break. And it's like when that comes at like three in the morning, I You're just like, want to get to sleep. I do right. not necessarily want to like sit down and have pizza. You know what I mean? Yep, but right. um, then I'll fall asleep and I won't want to do the next like 30 yeah. minutes. That's all it's going to take to get out of here. It's like I may fall over and not get up if I stop moving. Um, I've but had you those discussions with my crew. And I'll be like, well, it's lunch break at two in the morning. They're like, we're on Hollywood Boulevard. Do you see anything open where I can get food? And I'm like, <laughs> no, but HR told me we had to have a break because it's been five hours and 13 minutes. So, <laughs> And sometimes you'll be um, in a location where, where the local will be like, all right, group meeting. We have 25 minutes of work left. We're at the five hour mark. What do we think? Must be unanimous. Are we working through? And everybody will be like, let's just get out of here. Let's just work through. But again, like the local makes that decision. Like I don't, as a touring person, like when I walk into a new city, I'm in their home and I will abide by whatever rules um, that specific local has because A, 
I'm an upstanding human being and union member, but also because like <laughs> that's the way it should be, right? When you go into someone's home, like if they ask you to take off your shoes, you do it. It's just like mm-hmm. polite. And if you don't, well, maybe nothing happens to you, but you might have an unpleasant time in that person's house. So just be mindful. Like you make or break your own day. Mm-hmm. Deciding to be congenial or deciding not to be. And I, um, I'd rather have a good day, you know? So I always ask and, um, um, I kind of learned and there are just, there are different places where some rules are completely different. Stand lights, stand lights are the sense because who knows who handles stand lights because in every single city, It's going to be different. Sometimes it's the electrics department. Sometimes it's props. Sometimes it's me because technically I am electrics. It just, you never know. And like the musicians as a whole always come to me because they see me the most. They know who you are. Yeah. Any crew member, they deal with me the most. So they come to me for everything. (laughs) And, um, and you just kind of have to figure out like, oh, cool. I'm in this place. It's props. Let me go ask. They may ask me to do it. If they ask me to do it, I'm not going to not do it. But um, I do need to check with them. Or maybe, oh, you specifically ask the musician need to go to this person and ask them. And I can have no part of that. <laughs> um, it, it really it really depends. So I, I, union rags are so much easier now that they have the booklets. Maybe they always had the booklets. I don't know. You guys, I never had the booklet. (laughs) It boggles my mind. It's astonishing. Um, things are more fun, more fun. Um, I said that with quotation marks, um, can't see me right now. Um, in New York, because you also have different, you have local one who have a specific set of rules. You, um, a lot of times audio people are on pink contracts, which means we're in the union, but we're not specifically on a local one contract, which also has to do with who hires and, um, how easy it is to fire you. Hmm. So on a pink contract, pink contracts are specifically traveling contracts, um, which means I am a traveler in New York City, and um, I have a different contract. But we still have to abide by all of the local one rules and regulations as a show being in a local one house. So that's kind of an interesting thing as well um it's certainly been interesting to navigate um because even though my um my breaks or my overtime or even my holidays we have different holidays sometimes so Hmm. somebody might be getting um labor day and the other person might be getting memorial day you know it it's kind of whatever local sits down and decides like, oh, these are your holiday days. These are um, 
overtime days. This is what happens when this happens. So like what is governing our pay, what is governing our breaks might be different. It depends. So there's a lot to get into with like union rules and regulations, which is why I'm never the steward on anything because there's so much I don't know specifically. Um, and, and as an assistant, a lot of times I don't need to because other people do. Like I know the big things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I know when we take breaks. I know how much we get paid. I know how many hours we work, et cetera, things like that. Um, but most shows have what we call a steward, which is um, basically someone who serves as a union representative to make sure that the show is operating according to union rules and regulations and that everything's going well. And somebody that you can go to who's not specifically management and say, I'm having a problem. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know where to go with this next. And it's someone you can go to who will help you figure that out. Um, And theoretically, they're usually not in a management position. So there's no conflict of interest there, right? Um, So I will say, though, for the touring world, I kind of sat down and wrote a guide to touring um, because. There's a lot of stuff like that that none of us know. And um, if you're young and you're on tour, and specifically if you're a woman and you're young and on tour, there's a lot of times where you might not know something and it makes you seem less credible or seem um, dumb or not like in it to win it, um, when really it's just something you've never been told. So I created a little guide that I email out to people when they reach out to me about like, I want to chew and I'm like, you need to read this. And, um, and it, and it, we, there's a section on union rules and bylaws. And then there's like a, what I should pack, um, how to work, as an assistant or as a head and interacting with locals and, um, and things like that. So that is kind of how I'm trying to like help. Um, yeah, that's so awesome. Cycle of no knowledge. <laughs> but I, Number I, one, get the book that tells you what the union is. You guys, it's a pink book. It has so much information. Um, I have a couple that for, I, came across after I got off the road, of course. Um, which I mean, by the, by the time you get to New York, you probably know enough to be just fine. Um, and you know when to like ask or not ask things. Um, but when you're on the road, you need the book. Get the book. If anyone's thinking, mm, I'm going to tour, um, make sure when you get your union contract that you get the book. <laughs> It tells you things. That's good. So do you have, like, if people wanted to give this guide that you wrote, should they just contact you through Facebook email something? Or Because I definitely want to yeah, put that on our... Always, um, 
you can always Facebook or email me. My email is k.muntrath, M-U-N-C-H-R-A-T-H at gmail.com. Um, and I am happy to send it to you. So to end, it's audio specific because that's what I do. Um, but most of the information in there is universal. And I also, I did like a weird, um, stage management version. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want to read the stage management one. Somebody had asked me, um, and I don't remember who it was. Somebody was like, I'm going to be a stage manager on tour. I was like, oh, there are some things you should know. Um, <laughs> it's a very different world. Like, yeah. In the union bylaws section, it talks about like, not touching props, how to interact with IATSE members and, and what you can and cannot do specifically in various locals and stuff like that. So happy to give the guide to whoever needs to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> My next big question is, let's just say six specifically what was it that you did or what do you do let's say during during the run of a show what are your responsibilities this is a fun one um six is very different from any other show I've done um but kind of things will be different now because we've been on hiatus and will have been on hiatus for 18 months but theoretically I'll I'll talk about the theoretically before all of that business happened. Um, So six was kind of a regional tour before it went to Broadway. It did four stops, I think. Um, And I flew out to St. Paul, um, Minnesota, and I did the last stop as the head audio engineer and mixed the show for a month there, a month in St. Paul in November, December is very cold. Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to, would not want to do that. You know, it wasn't as bad um, as I thought it would be, but my zipper broke on my like puffer jacket. And so anytime <laughs> I sit down, it would like come open and it was, it was, it was dramatic. So <laughs> it was really cold. But because I did that, when we showed up on Broadway, I already knew the hardest part of what I needed to do. Um, I already knew how to mix the show. And on Broadway, and a lot of times on tours, and I haven't really done regional, so I really don't know about that specifically. Um the assistant audio engineer or the A2 is almost always the first mix cover, unless there are like specific circumstances why we cannot make that happen. Like you have a short run and the A2 is going out of town and you only want to train one person. So you train this other person. But um, so eventually once the show gets up and running, I have to learn how to mix the show and typically, at least in my experience, that has always been with a live audience. So that is stressful, very stressful, um, very stressful because you, you t- 
typically, unless you have rehearsals, which are kind of few and far between when audio comes in for a rehearsal, because it's really expensive, because then you have to bring in like the full crew, basically. It's a union thing. You have to match people and it gets really pricey. So we don't typically do that. Um, so I usually don't get a pass at learning how to mix a show um, without a paid audience. And the pressure there is very high because they pay to see the show. They pay to see the performance as it should be, not as you're learning it. Um, so I feel I, I I've never called a show, so I don't know, but I feel like it's probably a similar stress because I have a little mixing board at home and I'll sit through and listen and push faders. Um, it's not the same as having the actors there. And mm -hmm. also when you're listening to a recording, they don't do the same thing every day. Right. Not. And you know what? Sometimes there are magical actors who do and like they those people. <laughs> walk on water to me. I just we had one and beautiful. I'm just gonna say his name, Ben Jacoby. If any of y'all know Ben, he is a magical man and he did everything the same and full throttle 180% every night. But that is not typical because we're people, we're humans. And so um, when you're learning a show and the people aren't there, it's, I mean, it's not the same. So I went in for six thinking like, I already know the show. Not only do I know the show, I know the show and the mix engineer doesn't. So like we, he was learning the show and as he was learning the show, we had a lot of really great dialogue of like, well, how did you approach this? Like, oh my gosh, this part's really difficult. You have to like push this fader up and then set this thing and then go over here. And that's kind of how you make that part work. So that's a dialogue I never get to have because I never know the show before the mix engineer. Um, and six itself, once the Queens there, it's the six wives of Henry the eighth. So the six Queens, um, we just call them the Queens. Once the Queens are on stage, they are off stage, maybe for a combined total of three minutes. Wow. It is a 90 minute show. It's like an 85 minute show. No intermission, straight through. So once we start, we start, um, I am triaging, but there's not a lot of time for me to get in there if something happens. So I don't have a lot of cues. <laughs> like I just keep my fingers crossed and hope that everything works. Yeah, because there, there's like there's not a lot you can do because they're on stage 24-7. Um, however, the ladies, the queens, are wearing a lot of equipment. So there's a lot to prep and check. Um, every lady has a handheld microphone, which is another thing. We're on handhelds for this show. Um, it's supposed to be basically a rock concert. Um, the Six Wives of Henry VIII form a girl group, not unlike the Spice Girls, and they basically like take over the world, and they're amazing. Oh my god! And every twin, why have we not seen this? It's, it's I've so read about it, but I haven't seen it yet. 
It's so fun. Um, it's so like girl power and cheeky and it has a lot of history in there that I think catches a lot of people by surprise. Um, and I'm kind of a nerd, so I'm really interested in that time period anyways. And I mean, these days, a lot of people have watched like The Tudors or The Spanish Princess or any of the number of like mostly historically accurate shows that are out there about that time period. Um, but there's a lot of history in it. Um, so that's really cool for me. But rock concerts. So everybody has a handheld. So I'm not making any ear rigs. I'm not helping to put any microphones in here. None of that. Don't have to worry about any of it. Handhelds. Nobody mics. Perfect. Um, so that's super easy because a lot of my time is spent maintaining equipment, specifically maintaining microphone rigs. Our rigs are handhelds. Fabulous. I love everything about it. Um, and they, <laughs> they sound great. I mean, they're directional. You can get louder with them. It's just um, obviously not for everything. Again, not a sound designer not a sound designer over here. Um, but it makes my job really easy. So they have those. Um, they also have um, in-ear monitors because it's so loud. It's a rock concert. And so in order for them to be able to hear what they need to hear, they all have in-ear monitors. And of course, in-ear monitors and handhelds are all color-coordinated with their costume. It's very exciting. They're bejeweled. Um <laughs> It's very fun. It's very fun. Jewel, does that become part of a props problem or is that all audio? Um, well, that's a great question. And we're kind of, um, it took us a while to kind of navigate that because the show itself, this is like another caveat. The show itself came from the UK and in the UK, they do not have the same um, union structure that we do here in the US. Um, in fact, they don't have them. So there's a lot of things that we encountered where um, maybe the sound designer might um, have been doing a lot of the keyboard programming, but on Broadway, we have a keyboard programmer and that is his job. Or um, typically, um, on other productions, of the, there's six productions of six, theoretically. Um, so there's a lot of us um, in the six family. So other productions of six, um, our sound designer may be able to go set up the drum kit or um, fix things uh, if he hears something off. Or the head audio and audio assistant might be able to check through things and set things up that we can't do. So when it came down to like how the microphones were going to look and um, how the inners were going to look, there was less, A, the, the design team themselves are have done this several times now. So they're phenomenal collaborators and um, kind of all have reached um, – a design for most things. Um, so it's kind of just a known. We did do some interesting 
design choices with the handhelds and with the in-ears and how they were going to be bejeweled that went back and forth. But most of that was actually between um, our costume designer and our sound designer figuring that out um, because they they match the costumes. Yeah, because they match the costumes, but also have to be integrated within to the costume. So for the in-ear, we had to have specific pouches that could be theoretically accessible underneath their, most of the costumes are plastic. It's dramatic. Um, so there's not a lot of give in the plastic, right? So you can't just decide to put um, an in-ear monitor on their back if there's not a pouch in space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the handhelds, there's a lot of dancing in the show and so each costume has a handheld loop on it for them to like holster their handheld (laughs) and um so there was a lot of collaboration on that um I chose a specific holographic tape with given like parameters that we ended up putting on um all of the handhelds to complement the blinged out um, <laughs> capsule, which is like the part that you look at the top part of the microphone where people are like, Oh, look, that's the microphone head. Yes. Um, also called a capsule. And that has jewels on it. But now we have this beautiful holographic tape, which I found. I'm just Yay! saying. I'm just so getting credit on Broadway now. <laughs> I, know, I know. I've been thinking about them because I've been a little worried that maybe the tape would become unsticky. And because of the pandemic, they're not making it right now. They're not making my holographic tape. Um, oh, interesting. I know, that I if you I'm leave it on. Man, that could be tough. We're going to find out, you guys. I have no idea what we're going to find when we go <laughs> back into the theater. Um, yeah, I, I will say there, the microphones are nestled in these like foam carriers, so it'll probably be fine because they're like cocooned in foam, just waiting. <laughs> just um, waiting to come back. <laughs> for us to come back. Uh, but it'll happen. Oh, so microphone and ears, and they also have this little tracker. Um, it's a Timex tracker, which... I guess the easiest way to explain this means um, each lady's wearing a tracker and there's a system that kind of monitors their location on the stage. And as they move from one side to the other, the percentage of their vocals changes within our sound system to make it sound like they are coming from that area, coming from that specific area. That's cool. So when we're checking the show out, um, there's there's a lot to do because we check every input and every output. Basically, we're checking every speaker, every microphone. We're checking all the in-ears. We're making sure all the trackers are working. Um, we have a four-piece um, girl power band who are – they're called the ladies in waiting, and they are always <laughs> on the um, and the ladies in waiting um, are also costumed. They also have bejeweled in ears. So there's a lot of things to keep track of. So when I get in the theater on the daily, there's a lot to do. Um, 
we have confetti. Oh, I just gave it away. We have confetti. Um, we have like Mylar confetti. Surprise if anyone's going to see the show. Sorry, I gave it away. Um, but the confetti <laughs> complicates our lives greatly because we only have one prop person. So we don't really have props, but confetti is cleaned up by props. And if you only have one guy, it takes a long time. So what they decided to do is we clean up the confetti during the pre-show. So I will pull everything out, power everything up, put batteries in everything, go upstairs, and I wait for confetti cleaning. And it's usually by the time I do all of that, I'm only waiting for like five to 10 minutes. It depends. And I'm sure that time will get quicker as we become more used to like the things we're doing. Um, but confetti takes a long time, you guys. So um, yeah. we kind of check through everything. And then once we start the show and I check in with every lady, we do a lot of checks on, do you have everything you need? You have your handheld you have your in-ears your inners are in they're plugged in correct <laughs> they're turned on <laughs> they're turned on you you have your tracker and then we do checks with our um conductor that she has a talk back mic so she can talk to the musicians and she can talk to the queens and so we make sure that everybody can hear each other that she can hear the ladies through each of their handhelds and so we do all of that kind of on stage at places. So we get up there a little bit early. And and part of that is because the the amount of wireless devices we have is for the small cast that we have substantial. There's a lot going on and every one of them have specific antennas to pick up those um, frequencies and all of those antennas are on stage and some of them are more delicate than others. And we don't have a lot of offstage space. So most of my stuff is in the basement. Um, dressing rooms are kind of amidst a couple floors. So when you're off stage, basically, it doesn't pick a lot up. Our set is also, there's a lot of metal, which is not good for wireless devices. So we do all of those checks on stage. And kind of once like I give a thumbs up, stage management has a thumbs up. I go off stage. They start the show and mostly I stand by there. There are a couple cues I have kind of the ladies will run off and I'll be there to make sure we're okay. Or if something happens, I'll have say a spare set of in-ears or um, we have spare handhelds, of course. Um, our, we actually have two spare handhelds that are on the set at all times and the ladies know where they are. So if anything happens to any of them, they just go to those two um, holsters in the set and grab them. And then we have like some hot keys on the soundboard where we're like, Oh, Catherine of Aragon, she's on stage left. And you hit the button. <laughs> you need to <laughs> Because, you know, you gotta be ready. But, um, this is the shortest show I've worked on. It's super fast pace and I, I don't have a lot of cues. So, I'm not saying I'm not necessary, but there are definitely shows that I've had to continuously work much harder on throughout the show, which 
can be dicey. I'm sure as you both know, like if you have constant back-to-back cues, when something does go wrong, yep. you can't fix it, you know? Um, and that's a major problem because like, I don't have time or I can't get over there or I don't have what I need to do that are never really excuses. Right. Not that anybody wants to ever hear. No, no. I mean, like something happens and you fix it. That's why they pay us. You know, that's (laughs) literally our jobs. Um, So six is kind of a weird example because I don't do a lot of what I usually do. Like we don't have to worry about actors sweating out their microphones because they're not on your face. Yeah. I'd be real impressed if someone could sweat out their handheld. <laughs> I'm sure they have tried. I, you know, some of those you can submerge in water. I don't recommend doing that, but like, and they still are okay. It's wild. The technology is they're so less delicate. <laughs> they're it's much more stalwart. So I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to meet anybody or dry anybody off or blow their mics out with canned air or or pat them dry or... Uh-huh. Switch them out because something happened. They bent a cable going into their back. Yeah. None of that. Sometimes we, we, we have more problems with their in-ear monitors, um, especially because all of the queens got custom ear molds. Um, but it took a while for those to come in because we were using an international company because all of the companies of six wanted to be able to have the same in-ears and stuff like that. So they didn't really arrive until the week that we were going to open, which was the week we shut down. So our theory was we were going to put the molded ones in after we opened the show because everybody was getting so so like amped up about opening the show. You don't want to like add another element. You don't want to add something new in at all at the end. And they were like, let's get through this and then we can put them in. So they weren't wearing their custom molded ones. And sometimes like they're dancing their little tails off out there. And every now and then I'll see like ones bouncing around or (laughs) maybe it didn't get like it got crushed during something, you know, Still kind of in the working things out phase. (laughs) Tech and previews, you know, technically we're not open. (laughs) We're just hanging out. We're just chilling. Uh, We were supposed to open on March 12th. And um, for those of you who do not know, March 12th was the day that we shut Broadway down. So I was at my apartment um, getting my nails done, actually, in the very moment that um, my friend Rebecca, who who came in from Chicago to be my opening night date, um, held up the article on Playbill saying like we had shut down, and I was like, oh no, we just wow. did hair and makeup, got our nails done, I rented a dress. Okay, <laughs> that's a big letdown. It's it's hilarious right now. There, I have everyone's opening night gifts are wrapped and boxed up and ready to go. Just sitting there waiting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they'll get in and, and a couple of, uh, I won't, I'm not going to specifically say what I got 
the queens, but there is something that had like our opening night date on it. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the date that everyone was, will remember. A fun, a fun memory. <laughs> <laughs> March 12th, 2020. The end. Not opening. <laughs> no, we we hit our hour mark, so we have to wrap things up, unfortunately, because I didn't know any of this about audio. But <laughs> I try to avoid audio. It scares me. But. It's, um, it's it's difficult because it you can't see it, right? So it um, it is inherently scary. I understand. It, it is. There's a lot of buttons and technology like that that is intimidating. But to <laughs> finish up the podcast, do you have any twin stories to share with us? I've been thinking about that. So. I always wanted to be a twin, but it's like, it's one of those things. If you're not a twin when you're born, the time has passed, (laughs) right? Like You can't become a twin Um, because I read the Sweet Valley twin series. I don't know Mm. if you're aware of this book series. We know Um, it. I don't think we ever read it. Y'all, it was so good. There's like Sweet Valley Twins, and then they go to high school, and then they have senior year, and then they have the college years. It's like a hundred books. So I read them when I was a kid, and when we, um, going like all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, when my best friend and I were like, should we join the newspaper or should we join theater? Well, Elizabeth, one of the twins, ran the newspaper, and Jessica was in the theater department. So it was like, kind of had influenced my life in a manner which cannot even be described, really. <laughs> because of that book series by Francine Pascal. This is where you've ended up now. This is <laughs> Twins got me into theater. <laughs> and I'm done. Uh, yeah, right? That's... That's amazing. I love this. Twins got me in the theater, and now I'm on Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best twin story now. Everyone's going to have to top that that twin story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. Once once Broadway comes back and theaters come back, then we'll have to bring you back and talk about uh, if your hologram tape stuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. If the tape stuck, does everything work? Did rats eat the opening night presents? Like, I don't know. <laughs> These are all big questions we're going to want to know once Broadway reopens again. <laughs> no one's, we haven't been in the theaters since May, I think. May was the last time they like opened them up in case we needed to go there. Um, yeah. and, and, and let me be very clear there is a stage door man at every theater, and like they do do checks through the whole theater, checking everything at least once a week. So, so hopefully probably things are good. Probably no rats eating anything, I hope. <laughs> Maybe cable. Yeah. They're not eating the cables. They're like they in the walls and they do. Might, I, I'm hoping the gifts will be okay. We hope so too. I, I paid for those. <laughs> you know. Definitely hope so. Well, thank you so much, Kate. It was so wonderful to have you on and so great to catch up with you since I don't think I've really talked to you since CCM. No, it's, you always think like, oh, 
we're we're all keeping in touch. No, life is so busy. And you can't. I mean, you know, it only took us twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> but then we caught up, so it's all good. Yeah, and and. It's the fun thing about it is like if you are still in the industry in any capacity, eventually you do run into each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, it sometimes it takes a while, especially if like you're working in opera and I work specifically only in musical theater. Yeah. Exclamation yeah. mark. That's it. <laughs> it takes a while. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Operas on Broadway. No, but you know what? I've been wanting I love opera. I love it. I need to see more of it. I agree. Well, if it ever comes out again, then I'll bring you to a show. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) I support everything about you both. Uh, Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, this time we'll actually hopefully keep in touch and talk to you soon. Absolutely. I'll send you that recipe for that cake. Yes. For champagne cake. Yeah, and awesome. and the and the book on how to tour. Oh, for sound yeah, people and stage managers. Yeah, case twin needs to absolutely. It's it's a fascinating. It's a page turner. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's only it's like eleven pages. It's not massive, but <laughs> it's helpful. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that would have been super helpful. Right. Right. Thank you. Good luck with your cake. <laughs> Good luck. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.